And here we are in a new month. We've gotten past the power of authenticity and the power of, of vulnerability in those two months where it's like, oh man, we're doing the deep work, right? We are doing the deep work here. And <laughs> now we have a new month and a new theme and it's light within the shadows. And thank you for that lovely song because it's just so appropriate. Light within the shadows. So now we spend a month getting to do the shadow work. Yay. <laughs> oh my gosh. These are the... Um, the themes of the Science of Mind magazine, it's for sale um, in the bookstore. You might have a subscription to it. If you don't have a subscription to it, come and see me. I'm going to buy you one because I want everybody to have a subscription. You know, uh, 2027 will be the 100th year. The Science of Mind magazine is in continuous uh, uh, publication. 100 years, isn't that lovely? Yeah, it started, the, the Science of Mind magazine started October of, 20, of, of 1927. So it'll be 100 years in a couple of years. And I want it to keep going. I want it to keep going and thriving. So if you don't have a subscription, let me know. I'll buy you one. And, uh, and we can just keep it going, you know. Anyway, so this new theme is light within the shadows. And I thought, oh, goody, now we get to do the shadow work, which is also very deep and, and sometimes dark. And today's talk is in the dark, which is kind of where we feel like we are somewhere, sometime, right? Sometimes we're on this spiritual path and, well, we just feel like we're in the dark. We have no idea what's going on. Sometimes it is the darkness that brought us into a teaching like this, right? There are times where everything is just, you know, we do feel like we're in the dark. Um, and it's the reason that we come to a teaching like this. It's the reason why we, we look for a spiritual path, because we're tired of living life the way it is, because it's not working for us. And so we, we find a teaching like this, a practical spirituality, where we learn, right, how did life get to be like this, right? How did my life get to be this way, and what do I do to change it? And that's why we seek out and we find a practical spirituality like the science of mind and spirit, like Centers for Spiritual Living. We're all over the place. You can just find one anywhere. <laughs> if, not, if not in the actual building, you can find one online. But the tagline has always been, change your thinking, change your life. There you go, right? And who wouldn't like that? <laughs> you know, particularly when you feel like life is not working, the idea that change your thinking, change your life. I know, and it sounds pretty simple. <laughs> sounds pretty simple. Change your thinking, change your life. And, and I suppose it is. I agree with Ernest Holmes, who said, this teaching is very simple, but it's not easy. And that's true. Once we start changing our thinking, we take classes, right? Don't you sign up for classes when you get here? You're like, oh, this is fabulous stuff. I need to know more about this. We take classes. We read spiritual literature. We come together, and you find your little spiritual peeps, and we, we hang out together, and we take classes, and we show up for events. And what happens is it, it, things start to change. Things start to change. And, and the fact is, we have a life that's based on certain things. And once we begin to question those certain things, those certain set of beliefs, they fall apart. And, and then we're really in the dark, right? Well, you thought you were in the dark before. Once you find a spiritual path, then you're really in the dark. Because what you've relied on all along begins to fall apart. And it has to. 
It has to. It has to fall apart so that it can fall back together as a new structure, as a new life, based on truths instead of belief systems that you kind of like cobble together based on your parents' beliefs, your grandparents, your culture, your, your nation, whatever. All that stuff falls away. We find ourselves in the dark again. But isn't that where everything begins? Right? Everything begins in the dark. Seeds start off in the dark. Babies start off in the dark. Everything begins in the dark. All, all new life begins in the dark, even ours, over and over and over again. Each and every time we change, every time we evolve, every time we die to the old, we go into the dark, we go into the cave, we go into the tomb, and we reemerge, well, a new self. We reemerge, 2.0, me, 2.0, yay, we come out a higher version of ourselves. But it takes a lot of diving into the dark in order to do this work, doesn't it? It takes a lot of, of searching with your flashlight in the corners of the foundation of the structure that you had built to find out why things are not working, to find out what those false beliefs are, what of those things that we've buried down there that although we're not looking at them and we're not recognizing them, they are holding us back. So we have to light up those dark places in our lives that we have kept buried. And Ernest Holmes in Health for Today said, yes, it is better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. The darkness in our life is dissolved when we light the candle of understanding, of forgiveness, of love, and truth. Darkness has no power over light, but light has power over darkness. Hate has no power over love. But love can and will dissipate hate. Fear cannot destroy faith, but faith annihilates fear. So it is, it is up to us to shine the light in these dark places in our own lives, places that we have we've kept hidden, we've we, you know, submerged them. And I love the analogy of um, Debbie Ford when she, she did a lot of shadow work. And I love her uh, analogy of holding the beach ball underwater, you know, when we're, when we're trying to hold down those those places of those parts of ourselves that we don't want anybody to see. Uh, it's like holding a beach ball underwater, and you can only do that so long, and then it just comes up and it splashes not only you, but all the people around us. And isn't that our spiritual work, really, to, to dig down in that, to do that, that work, to shine the light in the darkness of our lives and, and to illuminate those places where, where we have been deceived or we have been misled by false beliefs or ideas or fears or phobias that's led us to believe we were less than we were. Because all of those things lead us to believe we're less than we are. All of those false beliefs, all the stuff that's in your basement. <laughs> Anybody have a basement? Anybody grow up with a basement? I know in California we don't have them. But, but East Coast, yay. Yeah, East Coast basements. It was my chore to put the water in the in the uh, big, big rounds, you know what, this furnace. Oh my gosh, in the wintertime, there was this little... Anyway, I remember going down there when I was a, a, just a young child, and it was terrifying because it was dark and it was in the basement. And I had a 
a big old jug, you know, they made them out of the big Clorox bottles, right? And they'd make a little pour, my father cut it off. And I remember going down there in the dark, turn the light on, and I would make as much noise as I possibly could because I could scare the monsters away that way, right? So I'd walk down there and I'd bang that thing around on everything I had, you know, on the, on the, the big, big pipes and everything just to make so much noise. And it wasn't until we were adults, my sister always said to me, why did you make so much noise going down there? And I told her to scare the monsters away. And she said, oh my God, she said, I used to go down there as quiet as a mouse as to not to disturb and wake up the monsters. <laughs> like, there we go, all raised in the same household, but total different, total different approaches, right, to it. But the, the monsters in our basement are, are figments of our imagination. And when we awaken, we awaken, we desire to live, live the life of the modern mystic that you know you are, right? To be non-attached to the material things, to be the observer in your own life, to be free to love in the world and just be love in the world. And so we begin by, by praying to be free from suffering, to be peaceful, to be love in the world, to be joy. And then what happens? Yeah, you know what happens, right? We pray for patience, and we get opportunities to be patient, right? We pray for love. We get opportunities to be loving. We pray for peace, and we get opportunities to remain peaceful. Hmm. We don't receive what we pray for. We receive what we pray from all the time, right? All the time. Because whatever we wish to experience in life, we must become that. We must become that in the world. And then that resonates to us, right? You know, the like attracts like thing. It's like, oh, I don't know, like, I would say magnetic poles, but those are opposites attract, right? So it's more like, like the receptors in our cells. They open and they are available to like substances so that they can come into our experience. And that's what we, that's what we become. We become like cells for the experience. In Fear is Faith, Ernest Holmes said this. This was at a talk he did at Asilomar in 1958. He said, and now I have learned that every man... He means human, right? This is the way it was written back then. And now I have learned that everyone will be alone until they are not lonely. I will listen to the silence until it speaks. I will look into the dark abyss until it becomes illuminated. And I will die continuously until I resurrect myself. This is what we do when we learn the truth, when we learn the, the principles, when we start practicing the principles. We wind up, things start falling apart and new things start falling together. We will continuously experience opportunities to be those things in the world that we desire until we become them, right? Until we become them. Remember, our lives are three aspects. You know, the teaching symbol, I, it's probably not there. No, it's not that. Anyway, you know the teaching symbol, big round circle, V in the middle, three aspects, right? There is a, the top and a middle and a bottom. We are that, that whole teaching symbol of how spirit has three aspects to it, that we have three aspects to us as well, right? Well, there, is, there is spirit and there is the, the mental plane and then there is the physical plane. And until we align all three aspects of ourselves, we partially outpicture our good. 
right? Until we are in alignment, spirit, soul, body, we will only partially outpicture our good. Spirit, that that the depth of you, that seed of perfection, right? Walt Whitman said, that seed of perfection that is nestled within you, that knows the truth of you. That knows your, your immortality and your intelligence and your omniscience. It knows us. It knows the truth of us. Our mind thinks what it thinks, <laughs> right? It thinks what it thinks, and it does what it does about us. And our body is the subjective mind demonstrating in the physical world what is placed into it. So we have those three aspects ourselves. Spirit says, we're whole, perfect, and complete. We are whole, perfect, and complete. Mind says, whoa, 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 <laughs> right? Our, our mind goes, hang on there. Just, just how, do you, how do you intend to uh, make that so? And our body says, no way. Just no way. And just outpictures the confusion of of spirit and thought. You see how that works? When we are not in alignment. And there are Ernest Holmes in the Science of My Textbook said, if our eye is single, we are filled with light. That's a biblical passage. He says, that is, when we perceive the unity of good, we shall perceive it in its entirety, an undivided whole. But if our eye is filled with evil, remember that means false beliefs, we remain in the darkness. We must cleave to the good and trust absolutely in the law of God to bring about this desired end. And all that is is just aligning ourselves, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, right? The whole thing. We have to shine the light in the darkest places of our lives, those places that don't um, reflect our wholeness, in order to heal them, in order to reveal them and the truth shall set you free. <laughs> I know it, was it Gloria Steinem said the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off, right? <laughs> it will. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I listen to lots of people in conversation talk about the traumas of childhood, the traumas of their teen years, the traumas of, of their young adulthood, and yet I ask how many years have elapsed since then? Most of the time, those traumas occurred when you were maybe in single digits or, or young teens. You've lived a lifetime since then. Why is not healed yet? Why is it not healed? Right? Because what I know is, Ernest Holmes said, healing is our birthright. Healing is our birthright. And what happens is we wind up out of habit. We drag those traumas around with us, don't we? We drag them around and we meet somebody new and we go, here, look. You know, look at this horrible life I had. Look at this terrible childhood I had. Look at how my kids, you know, my parents beat me or my, my, they were alcoholics or this or that. And we, we, we end up showing everybody. It's like a luggage. We carry luggage around with us. Here, let me show you. Here's my briefcase. I'm going to give you all the evidence of why I can't be whole, perfect, and complete. Most of the time, we have had years and years and years and years since those events occurred, and still, we're not healed because we carry them around like badges of honor. This, this is why I am the way I am. This, this is why I, I act the way I do. But we are not here to be stuck in our traumas. We're not here to be stuck in our pasts. We are not here to share from our woundedness. Right? Hi, how do you do? I'm miserable. You know? <laughs> 
Nice to meet you, miserable, you know. We're not here to share from that. You know, we, Ernest Holmes said we could heal. Ernest Holmes said healing is our birthright. I believe that. I believe that. And I do not stand here saying it's easy. Simple, remember? Remember we said that before, it's simple. It's not easy a lot of times. It's not easy. It takes practice. That's why we call this a spiritual practice, right? Now, are there water to wine moments like that? Did you ever have one of those transcendent moments where all of a sudden the whole world is different and you're different and you see the truth of, of everything and it's shining radiant beautifulness and, it, and we're all one and you can see it and you can feel it and your heart is so full? Is there water to wine moments? Absolutely. Absolutely they are. Court them. Let your spiritual practice unfold before you and court those moments. I know you've had many of them already. I have. And they're beautiful. And, and we sit in our spiritual practice courting them, don't we? Wooing those, those feelings when we come out of uh, meditation. When we're one with everything. And it's all so beautiful. And the light even looks different when, different when you open your eyes, right? You've had those experiences. And then what? You get in your car, you get on the freeway, it goes, right? It goes away. The first person that cuts you off, you're like, oh! <laughs> you know, it's not... It's not easy. It's simple. But here's the thing. We're here to do the work together. We are here to do the work. We're not here for the spiritual bypass. You know, with that thing, it's like, oh, I'm all, you know, I'm here. I'm, well, they said the metaphysician in hell, right? I'm not here and it's not hot, you know, when you're in, when you're in denial, when you're doing that spiritual bypass. Yeah, we, we go through hell. The thing is, you just don't build a condo there. You keep going. You know, you go through it. Don't do the spiritual bypass on yourself. And, and don't let anybody tell you you can go from ignorance to enlightenment in two hours, as long as you take their seminar, right? Or whatever, or buy their book, or, or sign that contract. Because you know this is work. You know this is a practice. Even including the water to wine moments, you know that this is still a practice. And we engage in it. It's a path. It's a path we are on. And spiritual enlightenment sometimes comes in steps and steps and steps. And all of a sudden, you start looking at your life in the rearview mirror and you go, wow, I've really changed. I've really changed. This is amazing. I really trust. I, I really have developed a faith. It occurs little by little. Joseph Campbell said, it is by going down into the abyss that we recover the treasures of life. You know what? That takes courage, guys. And that's why we talked about authenticity and vulnerability, because those things take courage. It takes courage to shine the light in the darkness of our lives. We have the courage to stop running from our dark aspects, to stop trying to deny them or ignore them or keep them buried. And we instead shine the light on them. And we see them for what they are. They are an illusion of false thinking. That's what the dark places in our lives are. They are the illusion of false thinking, trying to be real. Our heartache is, is a, a mistaken interpretation. Our feelings of rejection may be a misunderstanding. Or perhaps, or perhaps real abuse did happen. And our, it was our inability to be loved 
by a parent. But that was not your inability, that was the parents, right? Where people cannot give what they don't have. So that lack that you experienced, perhaps it was real, but it wasn't truth. And there is a gift in all of our darknesses. The, the, your fear, your frozenness, your belief that you're broken, all of it comes with gifts in its hands. All of it does. The abuse you experienced created the compassionate you that you are today so that you can sit with others in pain and just be with them. The rejection you felt as a child created you to make safe spaces for people so that they can be their real selves with you. Your need, your need to be accepted or admired in your insecurity gave you the ability to lift others up so that they can trust themselves and they can grow self-confidence. The things we learn when we have the courage to go and peer into the darkness of our own souls. Those are the gifts that we come back with. That is the pearl of great price that they spoke of in the hero's journey. When we go down to that basement and we shine the light in the dark corners of our memory and we find those monsters hiding down there in the corners, they are not things of substance, are they? But they are illusions of smoke. They are mist from the past. And they have no power over us. Ernest Holmes, in Help for Today, said, let us therefore light the candle of love, of human kindness, of forgiveness, understanding in our own soul, and let it shine brightly. Let us not peer into the darkness troubled and concerned because it is so foreboding and, un for foreboding and unknown. Let us rather remain steadfast in the radiance that is spiritual light of truth within ourselves. Let us stand guard so that the winds of malice, cross-purposes, ignorance, and misunderstanding will never blow out your light. Let us live each day that the light from our candle of spiritual knowledge remains forever clear and understood, not only by ourselves, but by and with all of whom we come in contact. It is in our darkness that we most recognize our light. Let it shine brightly. Thank you.